Welcome everyone to the second ever episode of the newly named Bay FC fan podcast called Everything Bagels. And we will have to unveil some of the designs that went behind um, some of the inspiration for sticking with that with the uh, Seagull Bagel Hybrid. Maybe we'll name them Hella just so we can shoehorn that in. But um, more importantly, we have our first guest in our second ever episode. Uh, Mr. Bill underscore mid is joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, um, some of you will know Bill from such great things as the Quakes After 90 podcast, um, as well as uh, talking Woso and other Bay Area soccer on Reddit and Twitter. And so, yeah, great to have you here. Yeah, so you'll find me mixing it up. Uh, Bill underscore mid with two D's on Twitter and on Bay FC subreddit. I'm uh, trying to pop it into the NWSL subreddit, but um, you guys need to like uh, be a little bit nicer out there, right? I always feel like it's always like a little bit uh, angry online these days. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. Everyone's you to, being you have to set vibe You're saying the, the internet isn't all roses and rainbows. I, we're gonna do a good job setting the vibe on this podcast with me as a guest. We're gonna be all positive. Good five. Oh, that's 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 the bill I know. Um, so let's see here. Let's just jump into the news. And so there wasn't well, com- nothing will compare to the previous week as far as news goes. I don't think it's possible for the um, the club or the state department, as we were kind of talking about off pod, to be able to figure out visas in that sequence. Um, so things were a bit more quiet this go around. Uh, Thursday, it took until Thursday for us to really get some news. Um, technically, there was some stuff on Wednesday, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, on Thursday, we had a new signing of um, Lucien Pru, um, who came from another transfer, which, side note, I've been interested to see how many transfers we've been making, but also it makes sense with all the allocation money we've had uh, Scrooge McDuck swimming in. Um, but yeah, she came on transfer from A-League, Australian club, Melbourne City FC. And so she uses our last international spot, which if you would have asked me uh, what position we'd use for that last spot, I would not have guessed goalkeeper. But we will have to either trade for another slot or move an international player out through a transfer or a loan. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to, uh, to keep eyes on. I was going to say, this signing one. Zach, the Australians might eat you alive for how you've just said Melbourne. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> I thought this was an interesting signing. Mm-hmm. Not even a comment on Prue herself, more a comment on what we're using an international spot for. Mm-hmm. I think Zach, you and I have had this conversation. We thought, you know, if the team doesn't trade for another international spot, they would save this. Mm-hmm. For the summer transfer window. Yeah. Um, you know what? I was talking about trying to keep it positive, but I want to go ahead and bring up uh, negative stuff that I see online when we try and sign international goalkeepers. Because this happened before, too, when we were rumored, rumored to sign that Tottenham keeper. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Remember, um, there was a hot minute where I think it was a WSL beat reporter had uh, dropped the information that uh, they we're not going to be accepting an offer from BFC and basically put us on blast. Right. And then mm-hmm. there's a bunch of gnashing of teeth out on the NWSL subreddit. We're like, Oh, what is BFC even doing and thinking they can't sign anybody. And now they're trying to sign an international keeper. But I mean, when you think about a possession team, keeper is one of the most important possession uh, positions mm-hmm. on the field. And we're going to be talking about, the culture of a possession team. And one of the most important things is playing out the back. And a keeper is a big part of that. If you look at the press release uh, where the head of goalkeeping specifically cites uh, that he thinks she's a great example of a modern goalkeeper, right? She can mm-hmm. play this team, right? And I think that's a trend um, that we're going to be seeing here. Uh, if Albertine's the coach, we're going to try and find keepers that are comfortable with the ball at their feet yeah. and that you're going to see. Um, what I would call, I don't know, traditional American, but 
I think goalkeeper is traditionally a, a strong spot for uh, American players, but not necessarily ones that are good with their feet. Right? So mm. That's why we might see an international spot on keeper. I think it's a really good shout, really good analysis on that. Um, yeah, and I mean, um, from what I've learned from, well, yeah, I said last week that I'm not going to talk, we're going to try not to talk about the earthquakes all that much, but it is the frame of reference that plays at the same exact stadium. Uh, the earthquakes this offseason are up to five goalkeepers. Uh, one of them's injured, but it was something that I learned in the earthquakes Similarly, last year, uh, the fan base had absolute, I don't know what's above gnashing of teeth, but there was an absolute um, just outcry about us getting an international goalkeeper transferring in and wondering why do we do that when we already have a good American homegrown, um, literal homegrown player, as in from the Earthquakes Academy. And he ended up being one of the goalkeepers of the year, arguably could have won the award. Um and one of the things I learned in the analysis leading up to that, and it ended up being quite true, was that it's a lot easier as far as things like XG is concerned, dollars to transfer fees, although Bay FC also paid their dollars for a forward, um, which I'm glad they did. But it's a lot easier to get a good conversion of expected goals difference through a goalkeeper rather than through um a forward or a midfielder or any other position. And so that's somewhere where even just going back, you know, not even talking about the whole possession, um, you know, foundation as far as the goalkeeper goes, just the position itself is one that um, insanely can be at times undervalued despite its uniqueness and importance in the game of soccer. Touching on both of those points, I definitely see why we would one keeper that's good with their feet. I think something Diego Restrepo, who's the goalkeeper coach, said really stuck out to me. He said her ability to make crucial saves, read the game, and play out from the back are impressive. And, you know, I think that's uh, that's playing right into what you were talking about, Bill, if, if this team is really wanting to play possession-style football. What I find most interesting is just her lack of experience um mm -hmm. she has had a really strong season with melbourne city um, they're top of the a league she has played 14 of the 15 games they've played she's recorded 50 saves and you know i really enjoy the a league i've gotten a lot more into it this this season mm. and i think they develop a lot of young talent but there's a pretty big jump between that and that wsl and I'll be curious how what is required of a keeper in the NWSL mm -hmm. the challenges through. Um, I think sh her shot stopping is really going to be put to the test. And mm -hmm. I also, right now, with the keepers we have, I couldn't tell you who's the number one keeper mm -hmm. solely because we have two keepers with NWSL experience, one being Roland with significantly more game time. Mm -hmm. And then, but she's not number one. She wasn't number one at North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And then we have a keeper who's coming from being the number one keeper, but in a completely different league, with mm -hmm. completely different expectations. So I just, I, uh, on the goalkeeping side, I just don't know who starts. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And this will be, you know, for, for anyone that is able to go down and see the games at Coachella and hopefully their stream, that's something we'll have to, badge of the club about whether on social media or send an email but um that'll be something where even just looking at lineups and seeing you know who's starting I, I imagine that we'll potentially see at least two of these you know goalies starting halves um potentially all three of them depending on what's been seen in the camp so far um but i would i would wager that roland um will be a starter just off of sheer relative recent experience in NWSL, but it wouldn't surprise me if with this transfer, uh, Prue proves herself, sorry, uh, and uh, <laughs> ends up actually, you know, winning that spot. And it might be for some of the reasons that you mentioned uh, that you two have been talking about as far as it might be something that it accelerates our ability to play the style that um, 
our coach wants to see. Yeah, and it's going to be like their connection to our center backs, like uh, all all that kind of stuff, their communication. But I agree with you, Zach. I think on paper, um, in, in terms of who the favorite is, since we've mentioned two goalkeepers now, I might as well mention the third, which is Melissa Louder, so mm-hmm. former Santa Clara keeper. Um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I am a Santa Clara women's team fan. So I'm familiar mm-hmm. with uh, all the players that have come through Santa Clara. This is one of them. She spent her uh, her junior and senior year where Loera's freshman and sophomore year where she was mm. starting center back at Santa Clara. So they have that connection. But uh, we're kind of expecting Loera to be in the D-mid slot. Yeah. She was kind of been converted there to Kansas City. But also, I would note that... Um, Melissa's also teammates um, with two of Albertine's coaches at MVLA. And so I'm sure that they've had conversations with Albertine about Melissa before. And I would expect she's at least somewhat familiar with him and his system, just given all of the connections. I think, you know, it's, they don't really keep great records. I don't know if Melissa is one of the keepers that played for Wolves, which was Albertine's. Was it WPSL? Is that the right acronym? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I I think she might have been one of those. I know Luera played for Wolves for a little bit. I can't remember mm-hmm. if Melissa did or not. Yeah, I think Tegan McGrady did as well, who we'll, we'll talk a little bit about her later. But um, yeah, um, also for our listeners, the WPSL is a uh, amateur women's league in the U.S. There are quite a few teams in the Bay Area and in NorCal that um, – are in that league and so it's where you see in the summers a lot of um college players especially playing so that they can keep fitness and have a higher level of play but also not void their uh ncaa um eligibility by playing you know for a professional team or something like that but um you guys have any other thoughts as far as um goalkeeping goes yeah i think the one thing about because i agree with both of you i think on paper roland makes the most sense Mm -hmm. to start but something i want to keep my eye on prue with is so she was called up for the 2023 world cup for canada that's right she was in australia new zealand with that canadian national team Mm -hmm. she is not at her first cap yet Mm -hmm. she's young she's 24 that's yeah exactly keepers usually tend to come in a little bit later in the game Mm -hmm. but i think that experience of training and just like playing under a keeper like Sheridan, who mm-hmm. is a really quality keeper and has a lot of NWSL experience, could be really, really valuable. Um, I'd love, you know, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall on the conversations that I'm sure they had before she, you know, decided to to come over to the NWSL. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could have an impact on what kind of player she ends up being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, also, I just had it stewing in my head, and it's nothing important, but uh, how, how do you say it? Is it Melbourne? Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. Are they like the Louisville of Australia, just in making you really say their name in an odd way and kind of swallow syllables and vowels? I think um, part of it's the accent. Like, I think that's just natural. It It is, but then also other cities don't don't have that sort of thing but also maybe it's just you know the letters that are used like adelaide that's just it is what it is but um speaking of things like vowels disappearing uh quakes too which are the San Jose earthquakes reserve team they seemingly are disappearing from paypal park they released their schedule on thursday and there's no mention that they will be um playing there and so Uh, Some of you might have already connected some dots, but essentially this potentially means that they will have to worry about a dozen or so less games of wear and tear on the field uh, if Quakes 2 are not featuring at PayPal Park. And so it would only be the primary tenants of the San Jose Earthquakes and um, Bay FC at PayPal Park, which that's a win for both of those teams because we've seen specifically in NWSL how, for example, San Diego Waves field got absolutely chewed up by the end of their season and especially into the postseason because they were hosting um, a football team and wave and then I think one or more other uh, sports teams so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all develops 
Uh, the rumors had previously been that Quakes 2 had been fully moving out, but then this makes me think maybe it's not a full move out and only partial, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think another positive, and we see it reflected in the schedule itself, is almost every single Bay FC home game is a Friday or Saturday for the most part in the evening. Mm. And last season in particular, we saw with clubs who share their stadiums with other teams, mm-hmm. um, especially the rain um, at yeah. Lumen Field, Angel City. They had like a lot of midday games, a lot of Sunday games, mm-hmm. um, more less than ideal uh, time and days. So mm-hmm. I think for a, a first season, this is this is a really big win for Bay to have yeah. those like more prime time spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by the synergy. Um, there are some people speculating that maybe this was like within Bay's contract, um, like for renting the stadium, but I I kind of doubt that. It seems like it was kind of a nat- like just a happy coincidence and potentially a natural pro- progression for uh, the Quakes reserves because, you know, they are a reserve team, so it wasn't like they were getting many people to come to the games. I mean, shout out to the people that were showing up, but um, they were doing well doing kind of appearances at other parts of the Bay, um, like they did matches in San Francisco and uh, on the East Bay. So it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of do something similar. Um, But yeah, um, unless there's anything else to add there. Speaking of Um, lower league soccer, um, and speaking actually of um, the East Bay, there is a new league that might be coming next year. The WPSL Pro, and speaking of WPSL, so they have proposed a um, third division league, which this podcast, we won't really get into uh, the American soccer pyramid. Um, The brief thing to say is that unlike other countries, the pyramid is not connected. There's not promotion and relegation between the leagues. They're all separate. Um, And we'll get into that in a couple minutes here. But there's going to be a potential team in Oakland um, called the Town FC uh, in this new league if um, if it does kick off next season. And so it's not going to be a competitor with Bay FC. In fact, I've speculated on my own previously that I think that Division 3 could be a place where you see actual, like, real um, professional reserve sides for NWSL. We'll see what happens. That was just my own speculation. Um, but there will yeah, be at least one professional team in Oakland or in the East Bay. And then also announced today on Friday was that the USL Super League is going to be um, kicking off in officially in this summer. And it got Division One sanctioning, which as far as the eyes of U.S. soccer is concerned, means that it's on par with NWSL. Now, in reality, when it comes to um the values of teams how much players are getting paid that's likely not going to be the case but it is very interesting to see and then last week i mentioned the oakland soul uh, part of the oakland roots organization were looking to get into professional soccer and this is the league that they would do that in depending on when the uh, oakland roots slash soul stadium gets uh, constructed out near the coliseum so yeah that's something to watch and we've gone from suddenly having or from going from having zero teams of uh, professional women's teams in the area to suddenly almost having uh, three, depending on how all these how all these leagues go and how all the timing works out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really exciting time just in the landscape of U.S. soccer on the women's side. I think there's some pretty good people running uh, the USL Super League. I think they have really good intentions, really good goals. And I've seen some folks saying they can't comprehend how there could be two uh, di- sanctioned leagues with Division One status. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there was there was quite a, a lot of conversation about it on the subreddit, and someone made a really interesting point about thinking about it within the context of um, the NFL and the AFL, how they eventually merged. You know, we've seen it a lot on the like the men's sports side. Um, yeah, pretty much. Leagues merging. Yeah, pretty much every single, outside of, ironically, MLS, um, all of the 
so all the big four leagues all had different mergers nfl afl um the um Baseball mlb too, right yeah, yeah the national league american league and i think there might have been even a third league in there um the uh, nhl had a merger the nba had a merger with the aba so it's there's potential for it. I, I think USL doesn't want that, but also I feel like their owners probably wouldn't mind it if they uh, are going to cash out. So that'll be something to look at in the future. And if nothing else, it's great to see that there's another place for women's players to play, uh, for women's soccer coaches to coach. Um, and yeah, and then with this third tier, it's going to present um, an even more affordable option for owners. And then um, also an option for players that are, staying domestically to have a league to um, play in if they can't, let's say, get a spot in the NWSL or in the um, USL Super League. Um, but to round out this news section, um, I don't have as nice of a uh, segue for this one outside of the fact that I did allude to it earlier. There was news Wednesday that the um, U.S. Women's National Team and Canadian National Team Gold Cup rosters were dropped. And kind of hilariously, in hindsight, we didn't know it yet, but we actually had a player announced uh, on the Canada roster, and that would be uh, our very own Peru um, will be on the roster. And as you know, we talked about before, we don't necessarily think that she'll be getting a cap. I guess you never know. Um, but it'll be cool just to finally, I think, um, I think this would be the first, I think it is the first rostering as far as a Bay FC player because um, Scarlett, um, she's not officially been announced for the Mexico roster. They haven't dropped their roster. Um, but yeah, it's just cool to finally actually be like, oh, Bay FC is real. It is an actual club that's out there and one that players of international caliber are um, a part of. So it's it's just really cool to see that from uh, that perspective. Yeah, games are in... Uh... What, uh, Southern California, right? BMO. BMO. Yeah, I, and I think um, I think there might be some games at um, the Waves Stadium as well. Snapdragon. Uh, there will yeah, be some Snapdragon. in San Diego. Yeah, but it's it's all concentrated in SoCal, so um, not too far away, but uh, far away enough for me. But um, yeah, another thing, and we won't dive too much into it, but I was um, absolutely astounded. So last podcast we talked about how um, back in the olden days of NWSL used to see um, Canadian and American national team players allocated or kind of evenly divvied out to every team in the league. And the 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 shocking number to to kind of bring us to what this new era of NWSL is, is that there were seven, seven U.S. women national team players all on the same NWSL team, which is Gotham FC. And that's just, it, it still is kind of breaking my brain, especially, you know, someone that's watched this league for a while. And then even without that, uh, just the very con, you, you don't necessarily see super teams being built like in domestic American soccer with its salary cap restraints and all that. Um, but Gotham are, are doing it. So it'll be interesting to see how, how things go this year. But it's just crazy to me that nearly an entire starting 11 of uh, U.S. women's national team players are all at the same club. It'll be interesting because that Gold Cup goes till March 10th, mm -hmm. just before the start of the season. Yeah. And if the U.S. is in that final, those players are going to have a really tight turnaround. And so yeah. I'll be curious how that affects Gotham's first first game of the season. Mm -hmm. Which, for better or worse, is not against us. Yep. Um, yeah, but that'll be interesting to just to follow as the as the uh, season goes on. But um, yeah, I guess we can transition to uh, Bill. Kind of part of uh, one of the reasons that you're here is um, you have your own uh, kind of personal interest and experience and knowledge when it comes to uh, Bay FC coach Albertine Montoya and his uh, coaching style and player development um through mvla so uh, i want to turn the mic over to you as far as kind of talking your talk when it comes to that all right I, i'm gonna I, I told you i was gonna try and keep it a little bit shorter and sweeter here because um, we have a lot to cover but uh, um for those of you that have have listened to zach or, or myself and clearly after 90s probably you know i'm a big youth development guy um and um 
while I live in San Jose, uh, my kids are lucky enough that uh, they they go to school over in Los Altos. And while I, I coached about 20 years ago, I coached my little sister's team. I did some high school coaching. So I'd assume that I would probably be coaching uh, my own kids. But um, also being into youth development, you you read up about the coaches that are doing good things around here. And for my money, um, when it comes to possession soccer, uh, really, there's only two clubs in the conversation of the best possession soccer players when it comes to girls in the United States and it's MVLA. The only other club that might have an argument is San Diego Surf, but the Montoyas have really kind of made their name playing, building possession soccer players, specifically girl, female possession soccer players. It's like the closest thing we have in the United States to La Masia, like a, uh, the famed Barcelona Academy. I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I'm I'm being real. I mean, you can look at the ECNL finals. Um, it's, all those all those matches are streamed. If you go and you pick out any female MBLA team, and you like you let them say they're wearing any uniforms, I bet you could pick them out because it's very clear they have a very distinct identity. These teams, you can count on them to be the technical possession playing attacking teams. And they've done it for so long now that they have this reputation and it's almost like a machine, right? It's, uh, it's, it's something to see, um, especially after they've been doing it so long and this reputation, it becomes like this magnet for possession soccer players. And so it's, it's one of the reasons why I was so excited uh, for BASC. And it, this sounds like a like infomercial probably for Albertine right now. But I mean, it's a place that I chose to have my kids go learn how to play soccer. And they they play there for six years, and they are their little ball playing center backs. <laughs> favorite thing. So uh, it's it's definitely in the beginning. It's it's a rough road when like if they're playing high level soccer and you've got the other teams just press into the gills, and you've got little kids that are just learning how to play soccer. But you're committed to playing out the back. They're gonna make mistakes, right? But it's it's all about the kind of culture that you ingrain, and it does take some time, but when they come through at the other end, they're, they're little ballers, right? And so, and I think you see that reflected in people who know ball. People who you ask uh, that are in the know, they will tell you about Albertine. So, I mean, you'll see, and, and I understand why people are skeptical, because every time you see a new club come in and say they want to play attacking possession soccer, they it, it's like this hot ever since barcelona got popular right it's like what the hot new thing that everybody wants to do the question is can they back it up right and the proof is in how his teams play right when you watch team play when it matters like at the top top end do they play that way or do they give up and they they decide to do something else because they can't take the pressure right and i think that is the calling card of his team right bill i'm curious what you think you know, you said there's like this really remarkable consistency across um, right. the teams that he's coached and is uh, just overseas at MVLA. And I'm curious what you think is is really the difference between his ability to implement that at various levels in the youth game compared to maybe other clubs that maybe wanted to try it and have succeeded with a single team but haven't been able to implement it systemically in their programs. So I, I guess I want to backtrack a little bit and say I expect it's going to be tough. At the, at the top level, it's mm -hmm. going to be tough, especially given that it's not the norm for, for players developed here. Unfortunately, you still see a lot of the – well, I don't know if I should say unfortunately. There's just people with different opinions about how the game should be played, and a lot of there's a lot of coaches that are familiar with the more athletic – style and i think because of how things are set up parents are chasing wins and when mm. that incentive gets going you have coaches that want to win and so just because that more of those players are developed you have more high level players that might not exactly have a skill set that matches up and so i think um i just go ahead and mention this now i think there's a very good interview that sam muis does with lucy bronze uh it's the women's game and we'll throw a link out there in the show notes where Essentially, Mewis 
um, ask Lucy about her Barcelona coach who has this, what I would call the best possession team in the world, or maybe even just point blank best team in the world. Yeah. Uh, and they're playing possession soccer. And for those of you that don't know, he is going to be go, moving over to the Washington, Washington spirit. And so similar to Albertine has this, I would say, whole system that he's built up of players that have been at MBLA, you know, since they're little kids, right? And so they, they get this ingrained into them how to play his style. And by the time they're, you know, 14, 15, 16, there's these little possession assassins, right? And uh, similarly, you have this comparison where the Barcelona coach is going to be moving over the spirit. How do you get that to translate when you go over to the NWSL? And so the the answer that I'm going to give is similar to the the answer that Lucy Braun gives in this interview in that it's, she says it's the Spanish culture, and I'm going to say Albertine has built that cu- culture into his MBLA teams, right? So the question mm-hmm. is, how do you build that culture quickly at Bay FC? And it's going to be a similar kind of thing where I'm hedging, like Lucy Braun hedges and says, it might be some kind of hybrid. The most important thing is the, is the spine of the team and trying to get players that might already have some level of familiarity familiarity with Albertine's system. So that's why you see players like Loera, who um, I believe played on Wolves. I mean, Santa Clara was playing a possession style with her as the ball playing center back. Now she's a D mid, right? She's in the spine of the team, going to be a, a central figure in this team. That's why you recruit players like Dana from Man City, Oshuala from Barcelona. We get veterans from Arsenal and Hopefully that can like be the spark of this culture, but I mean it's going to take time. It's not mm-hmm. yeah. not like a simple transported over copy paste thing, right? And I think Lucy Braun kind of wavers too. She thinks it's going to be hard, and I think it probably is going to be hard. As high as a recommendation as I can give to Albertine, I think it's going to be hard. I don't. Uh, hopefully the, the fans see what he's trying to build and we'll mm-hmm. give him some time. I'm curious to see, I know in, in towards the end of our document, we're going to see like, what is our fan culture? What is our level of understanding of the game? What kind of environment do we expect to the games? I think all of that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that yeah. turns out. So I, I'm on like a big, long diatribe now. I try and not do like long sections of just me talking. So why don't you guys uh, go ahead? Well, that's that's why we have you here, um, because we we want you to give your one diatribe of the year um, mm-hmm. just as a special present for us. And so we do appreciate that you uh, you now will go back to, uh, you know, more concise uh, stuff and leave the rambling to uh, to one of the hosts. But um yeah, I well, it's interesting too because I I was looking back and thank you guys that uh, hilariously we didn't really need to field any questions for this and I feel like almost any other podcast for this year we still will ask for questions but um because we got so many in response to the first episode so I appreciate you guys there's a question from Zombie Jim who I'm pretty sure is a Chicago fan Chicago Red Stars fan on the NWSL sub and he asked. And some of this was already answered, but he asked, um, is Bay looking to develop players as well, or is it just straight to competing? Are relatively young but not fully finished players like Camberos, um, as well as we can think Savvy King or any of the draft picks, uh, going to get time and the opportunity to make a couple growing mistakes, or will they be immediately benched upon mistakes? And so I think that is just an interesting question in general and something that it'll be very interesting to see because soccer, you know, it has, let's say, more games this season than um, your NFL, um, but it has a lot less games than, let's say, something like baseball, or it has higher stakes than, um, you know, youth soccer as far as, um, you know, money being paid and money being used. And so it will be interesting to see how Albertine balances the um, the development of players with the results that are needed on the field. Um, a lot of that's going to probably depend on how well these players are showing up in camp because, you know, it's something where we expect the rookies probably to sit behind um, 
the pros, the people that have experience, but you never know. There might be a rookie that really shows out and we're like, well, there's no denying of talent. So they're going to start. Um, but yeah, I mean, not to bring you back, Bill, but do you have any just personal feelings as far as what you think might, um, that balance might be? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see how much, uh, leeway he's going to have. I think mm-hmm. he can take some examples from, if you recall at the beginning of my diatribe there, <laughs> I mentioned that the other club that I thought was like a club that was known for producing technical possession soccer players was San Diego surf. Right. And so we can look and see, uh, what the wave has done with, uh, uh Barcenas. Um, so came over from the surf Academy. I think they even did something smart and like hire started hiring some of those people. So similar how Albertine came over from MBLA. He's actually the head coach. I think wave hired some of the, which youth coach they hired. Mm. Um, but you got, uh, Barcenas uh, over there and start sprinkling in the minutes when you can. Right. And so I think the results and the pressure on Albertine will dictate how much, um leeway he has right um so it's it's my crystal ball (laughs) isn't working right now but it'll say it it will it's all there's a lot of factors and if we're winning he's gonna have more leeway right yeah i'm gonna cut in briefly yeah i'm gonna cut in briefly and say um this is something where like if bay fc would have kicked off last year um or a couple i'm thinking more of a couple years ago when the Challenge Cup, which now is a one-off game, but used to be a whole tournament, um, and that was happening like weekly or monthly, uh, that was something where there would be an opportunity to play your younger players and see them develop during the season. So that is something with um, NWSL, with every week having just a league match, there isn't as much room for error. Um, like you see in Let's say in England in the women's game, they have two different cups that you could potentially play your young players in um, to just give them experience and kind of take an eye on them. And with the U.S., there not being any equivalent competition, uh, not until at the very least there will be a friendly tournament in the summer, which we still don't know how that's going to look. Um, it's going to be taking place during the Olympic tournament. Um, but by then, that's already halfway through the season. So, yeah, I'm I'm very curious on just how all that will play out. But also I think in hiring Albertine, someone that, you know, through your diatribe, we learned very much so about how he's a a development focused um, coach and just manager that he's not being brought in for the short game. He's being brought in for the long term, and with, you know, Bay drafting Savvy King, who wasn't someone that was of immediate positional need, Uh, But just because she's seen by many people as potentially being the best player in that draft class, despite not being picked number one, um, you know, he was someone that was saying that he was hoping that she would drop to number two that so that he can essentially try and make a national team player out of her and make a, you know, potentially um, to use another women's player uh, comp to make like a Naomi Girma out of her. he didn't say that I'm saying that. So it'll be really interesting to kind of see yeah, how the balance is between focusing on trying to win and focusing on trying not only to develop players, but also to develop uh, the system itself. And yeah, in bringing in players that um, yeah, have familiarity or just have uh, skills when it comes to playing more technical or possession-based soccer, then hopefully that puts us on the right foot. Uh, Anna. Yeah, I think something to consider is also Lucy Rushton, the GM. You know, mm-hmm. I think she really buys into what Albertine's philosophy is. I don't think they would both be there if, if that were not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty clear in the players the technical staff has seemed to go after and like who they've signed, right? Because they play such a big part in, in that process. Um. Mm-hmm. So I think there's buy-in. I'll be curious if behind the scenes, the front office is like, finish top half. Mm-hmm. We don't care about the rest. Like, that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Then do what you need to do. Season one. Some, you know, I think these are professional athletes. They're going to want to win everything. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if 
there's never been a team to to win outright in their like an expansion team to win outright in their first season. Um the the best finish was um San Diego San Diego Wave were the first team to make a um a NWCL playoff appearance and they also were the first team in that same season to win a playoff game in their first season. So yeah. that's the that's the watermark. The watermark is uh playoffs and a win which that would be that would be immense just even making the playoffs in your first season uh is quite difficult in any sport um when you have an expansion team now it's more doable i think now yeah there are like that eight playoff spots out of 14 teams but still um as an expansion team you are expected to be um i mean bay thankfully have built a roster to not make this the case um, and then they also brought in a coach that's experienced with um, U.S. First Division soccer. But usually you're expected to be the worst team in your league. And yeah. if not the worst team, it's because there's another expansion team that's worse than you. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. And yeah, I know whether we talk about this episode or a future one, we have thoughts on, um, you know, what what do we think expectations should be? And also what do we think the expectations of the fan base will be? And I think that's a perfect segue into talking about <laughs> the Coachella Valley Invitational and, and mm-hmm. the rest of preseason. Um, yeah. So it seems the team is still in Santa Barbara, so they must be kind of wrapping things up there. Um, they came back today. Oh, that, so that must be it. Cause I remember I saw some clips from, yeah, from today of them there, but maybe, yeah, this was their last day. Um, yeah, so there's going to be the Coachella Valley Invitational, which is a friendly tournament. It was set up last year as a MLS preseason tournament. So actually, the Quakes played their first game there um, yesterday. Um, and so then there will be a, a small like women's version of the tournament. Uh, it's just a round robin um, starting for Bay FC on Tuesday, February 20th at 12 p.m. Uh, they'll be facing San Diego and then... They will face Angel City on Saturday, February 24th at 1 p.m. And so we also, oddly, Portland were invited, but they're not playing Bay FC. I'm not sure. Maybe there might be like a closed door friendly because that happens as well. For those of you unfamiliar with the term, essentially, it means that uh, there's no broadcast or no uh, public viewing just so that teams can really feel free to do what they want as far as preparation for preseason and so we don't know if there will be any broadcast. I sadly don't expect it, but again, we can reach out to the front office one way or the other and check in about that. But the um, this the tournament last year when it was MLS only did not have any broadcasting, but then this year um, in its second year, they have broadcast some matches. So I'm not sure if they will broadcast um, at least like one of the Bay matches or not, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. I think this is a really good opportunity for them to to te- like test this team. Having mm-hmm. their first game be against a team like San Diego, who won the Shield last year, yeah, has a really really solid roster returning. Um, I think they need that challenge going into the season because mm-hmm. I think that's going to set expectation and then also maybe kind of bring the hammer down in on re- like set reality for them because I think it can be really easy maybe to kind of be on this preseason high. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have been going well at uh, training camp and I know they had uh, like their first scrimmage that went well. So so I think this test is, is going to set the tone. Mm-hmm. And if they get blown out, I'm not going to read into it either. No, we, we have to resist our urges there as bad fans to immediately read into that and especially as we we're talking about uh you know a team that is trying to play a system that is just not um natural to u.s soccer in some ways yeah i would say um if we are able to, to be able to find a stream or find if someone uh, goes there and like streams it off their phone or something things that i am more interested in in them winning is um where are players playing? Mm-hmm. Which players feel uh, look comfortable with each other? Look like they're combining. 
look like they have an understanding um, to, to bring this back again to the, the Lucy Bronze interview one more time. Um, she, she knows it's not always the best 11 players. It's like almost like a jigsaw puzzle, I think is what, hmm. what she calls it, in that which ones fit together and can combine and to make the best team, since there is so much team interplay in this kind of a system, um, where do you start seeing flashes of that? Where do you see, start seeing the understanding start clicking? Do you, where on the field does that happen? Yeah. I think um, okay. Something worth noting also in regards to that, in terms of winning not being the priority, we still have some players who haven't even come into camp yet. I think Dana mm -hmm. is just leaving Manchester now. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe Princess has come into camp either. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think I want to say Jen Beattie won't be at the Coachella Valley Invitational. I think she'll mm. be back in the UK um, around then mm -hmm. because she mentioned being back for the Arsenal Manchester United match as her like official send off. Mm. So <laughs> that's two days before this. So I yeah, imagine she probably. at least wouldn't be there for the San Diego game. Mm hmm. So it could be a good time, depending on who their starting eleven is, right? We don't know. Mm -hmm. To experiment, right? Yeah. It's probably the best time to experiment. Definitely. Also, one last thought that I had was I find it very interesting that um, we'll be playing Angel City in a friendly, and then um, th then we open the season against them. So I just was now having the thought, and um, <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll be touching on it in this podcast, but. Um, as far as as my um my partner, uh, she was mentioning that she wanted a beef watch section to this podcast, a recurring segment, just to let people know about uh you know what beef, what rivalries are kind of brewing in the league. Whether you know, hopefully specifically with our players, um, but also you know, there's some interesting stuff that can just pop up in the league, and you gotta look out for it because you never know when that beef is going to be pointed uh your way. But um. That was a weird sentence, but um, it'll be interesting to see if anything brews in that Angel City fixture because Bay Area sports, for any of you that are fans, which I suppose is most of you, or at least have a knowledge, um, Bay Area teams don't like LA teams. Bay Area fans don't like LA fans. That's just part of the sports culture, um, especially up here. Uh, down there it can vary, but they usually hate us as much as we hate them. And so just even coming from like a more neutral place, I, I am interested to see um, if, you know, someone puts in a challenge that they didn't quite like in this being a preseason game, you know, are we going to see some spice uh, already come about just in that first fixture? I, it'll be interesting because sometimes it's like the most inane thing that can, you know, set these sorts of uh, fixtures off. And uh, I think, and also to our players, uh, you know, uh, in that initial interview that um, Oswala did with um, attacking third, she mentioned that she was looking most forward to matches against Angel City and against San Diego because those are supposed to be derby games, rivalry games. And so it'll be interesting to see how much the players buy into it as far as being like these are games that we know the, the fans want us to win. But then also, you know, and as you mentioned earlier, like, San Diego is a team that just won the regular season. They won the shield. Angel City is a team that made the playoffs. Um, and so they have all the reasons to try and um, get up for these games. But it'll be very interesting to see because NWSL at times through no real faults of its own sometimes feels like rivalries can lack a bite. Um, and I feel like healthy rivalries for the league are going to be part of taking that next step up because... Um, when you have such emotion and such stakes added to games that maybe in the grand picture don't matter as far as like season rankings, that's when you have must watch matches where um, you didn't before. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how things develop. And um, yeah, if we have any beef watch coming out of coming out of those fixtures. I think something worth considering is we have players who played on both of those teams last season. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, True. I won't touch on 
my thoughts on how I think the San Diego front office handled things on Twitter. <laughs> thought it was a bit unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Rachel Hill will be facing her old teammates. And then Scarlett Camberos uh, asked to, you know, asked for that trade out of Angel City. Mm-hmm. So I think there's definitely something there. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a salacious yeah, way. But... I just mean in a, you're going back to, to the mm-hmm. team you played for for the first time. Uh, I think I think it, people will feel their feelings. Yeah, and in the Hills case, um, you know, she voiced some displeasure on social media about the expansion draft. And uh, to be clear, I also think the expansion draft is something that doesn't need to exist anymore. Um, but all the same, she was someone that was left, you know, in the terms of the expansion draft unprotected. And so that meant that she was not among the nine or whatever most valuable players for um, San Diego. So the interesting, yeah, to see how does she feel coming back? And then Camberos like might be something where she's feeling like she wants to prove herself uh, at a different team other than Angel City. Um, or at the very least, it's just one of those things where it gives that extra little spice of motivation to to players to see themselves, yeah, stacking up against former teammates. Go ahead. There isn't any kind of like smack talking thread on the NWSL thread, is there? Like they do in the MLS subreddit. No, we could maybe look into uh, starting something like that up. Uh, there's some like kind of casual stuff that'll pop up, but um, you know that might be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I always feel a little bit like weird when like either the, the league or front offices try and like create a rivalry out of nothing. I find like you just gotta like. Let it happen, right? <laughs> Utah. Happen, yeah, Utah. Yeah, if, Utah. Uh, I don't know, Bill, if you've caught some of that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was like, it was like kicking me when I'm down, right? I, I, <laughs> they already are in Utah. Yes, our kid was yeah. kind of playing. It is growing on me a little bit, but it's. Yeah, I. Yeah. What, Thanks for kicking us when we're down. Yeah. I, I don't know. What, what I'll say is, I think, I think the, uh, the Angel City matchup as we were talking about that already has built in um, built in rivalry, just as far as sports culture. So that will be something that I imagine they'll push whether a little or a lot. And that's one we were like, fair enough, need to introduce that into the, um, the woe. So space, but yeah, I am, it doesn't seem like just going off those social media interactions. um, It doesn't seem like um, they will be really pushing other rivalries like with the Utah one there with the barb that Utah had about the uh the kit and also they kind of a little thing in their um schedule announcement Bay was kind of just like we'll see how it plays out on the field just very neutral so it seems like they're kind of like yep that's just a, a team that we're coming in at the same time with and we have no other connection to which is fair yeah. enough um, and I feel like there's been so much positivity around what's the ACFC front office, like Erman mm-hmm. and Natalie Portman, they're all like, oh, we love like new teams because it's always like, rah, rah, let's, let's go launch more teams. <laughs> and then they just turn around and then like talk, start talking smack, right? After they're like hugging and smiling. I feel like it needs, we need like some kind of catalyst. Like I don't, I don't mind it changing, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like just like flipping the switch, it just feels a little weird. Yeah. I mean, if, Bay wins that first game. I think that will that will help do it. Um, but you know, I, I'm not saying that that is an expectation or anything. But um, I definitely could help. I mean, I think speaking of expectations, we can't have those without a fully realized roster. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have um, reached the team has reached the minimum number of players needed but they could still sign a couple more. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be worth talking about who some of the non-roster invitees that were at camp well, are. Yeah, also, before we get that, though, I, I didn't do the numbers. I'm bad, bad podcast host. But um, from our understanding, the draft picks are not actually signed yet. So I don't know where our numbers are yet as far as if we have reached that minimum number. I mean, if we assume that all the draft picks will play, um, or will get signed, then there's a potential for it. But um, that is one thing just to to note currently yeah. that we don't know about that. We we can assume the first 
round picks will get signed. But from there, I I mean, the thing for me is like they were so specifically picked as far as, you know, we talking earlier about their play style and their strengths and also just with the current roster strengths. I just don't see us not signing at least the majority of them, if not all of them. But I, I, just I completely wanted, agree. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because uh, I think last week we this was something we kind of discovered off podcast. But um, BFC's website, long story short, displays the draft picks as if they're signed. But as far as we can tell, it's not official yet. So we'll see how that develops. I do hope for all of them that they make it. And also, I just think it would be good for our team as far as it's concerned. But speaking yeah, of other players that are... Um, potentially going to be integrated into the roster, but we're not sure yet, uh, are the non-roster invitees for the preseason. Yeah, so and they I... invited a lot mm-hmm. of players. They yeah, I think it was 13 before no. we signed. Um... Louder. Yeah, louder. Thank you. And I I think, you know, who knows? You know, you used uh, the Earthquakes as an example. They have five keepers right now. <laughs> I do think it's pretty standard to have three on the roster. Yeah. I don't imagine they'll sign um, either Emmy Allen or Haley Cole. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. They could be, they could the horde keepers. Yeah. But, the, uh... I, I saw the only thing that would potentially make sense is if they just wanted to, they saw something in one of those two keepers and were like, you know what, we're going to sign you and then we're going to loan you to a team to develop elsewhere. But, you know, that would be, I mean, it would be very forward thinking, but um, I, Still don't think we'll see it happen, but we'll see. Young young keepers need minutes, right? You can't sit them on the bench. Yeah. So it also depends too with uh Alan if uh she I think she goes back to UNC. Yeah, because I think you have to technically within like seventy seventy two hours of the draft say like, Oh, I want to keep my eligibility. So we'll see what happens with that. But then there was also a few defenders, uh Caitlin Cosme, Maya Gordon. Tika McGrady, who we had mentioned earlier, um, midfielders, Maya McCutcheon, Maddie Moreau, uh, Brianna Vasali, and then forwards, Jasmine Hamid, Rue uh, Mucherera, um, Shailen Morrison, and uh, Kioma uh, Ovogaga, um, sorry, Ovogagu. Um, and so most are... I think most of these players do have pro experience outside of, I think, maybe the goalkeepers. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprise to see some of them integrated, but who we see integrated will be interesting. I feel like um, Grady could fit well into Albertine's system. Mm-hmm. I also just like, I'm a, I've, I'm a fan of what she has shown when she was playing, like, played in the NWSL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a solid player. I think she'd be a solid signing as an NRI, right? Like, I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. big pickup. But they also have a lot of defenders. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of just, are you using another roster spot on a defender? Yeah. And then we don't know if there's going to be some players that shift positions. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, for example, we've talked about Savvy King. She played center back um, for UNC. Um, but she supposedly wants to play as a left back. So we're going to have to see where she sits. And then we talked about Loera earlier. She played in college as a ball playing center back and played a bit of that in NWSL. And then now she's a defensive midfielder. So that also will be a factor. But if I recall correctly, I think we're pretty stacked on center backs, but not as stacked on outside backs. So that is where McGrady could fit in as someone with NWSL experience at that position. And familiar with how she played for MBLA, right? So. Mm-hmm. And then and there's um, a couple of folks. Yeah, so Shaylin played for MBLA also. And then we had some other local players in my notes here. Kioma, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brianna Vesalia initially played for Valley Christian. Um, and then Louder, uh, who was signed officially, so I guess she's not an NRA anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Kioma has an outside chance depending on just where her fitness is at. Um, for those unfamiliar, she was in the league for a bit of time uh, with Orlando Pride, and then she went to England. Uh, she originally played in England. She's from England, a dual citizen, so we don't have to worry about an international spot there. 
and she most recently played at Tottenham, though there she had a, um, I think it was a several month ban for um, breaking essentially doping policy, but it was due to a, I think like an acne medication, like a steroid that she had been using or was prescribed, but then it wasn't cleared with BFA. And I think a um, like Spurs put out a pretty supportive statement behind her. So just a really unfortunate circumstance. Um, all that to say, it's one of those things where potentially a lack of game time, we would see whether it's a positive or a negative, you know, whether it was something that was able to give her time to kind of, you know, recover some of those um, niggling injuries that can go on for players or not. But um, yeah, unless we have any other, any other thoughts, I think we could probably wrap up this, uh, this episode. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good on my end. All right. Um, anything else? Just want to plug at the end, or are we all we all feeling good? I'm feeling like I'm sick, and I'm uh, taking my uh, mucinex, and it's wearing off. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, we'll we'll let you get to resting. Um, thank you once again, Bill underscore mid for uh, dropping by. Hope it's not the last time. Um, and yeah, for everyone listening, appreciate it. And um, yeah, up the bagels. Up the bagels. Oh, yeah.